You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Happy New Year, everybody! Wishing you all a healthy and happy 2021 from the No Love Lost crew. Hope the start of the new year is treating you well. As always, this episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Go ahead and treat yourself to some delicious baked goods because you deserve it. So head on over to FredHeBakes.com, use the coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the thepodcastjukebox.com and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like Crazy About Kurt t-shirts and No Love Lost t-shirts. That's right. I said it in the opposite order. We're mixing it up for the new year. Never mind, I will probably definitely go back to doing it the other way around next time. But yeah, we wanted to say thank you again so much for sticking with us, and uh, we're very, very happy to be bringing you the first episode of the new year. So, hope you're all doing well and wishing you the best for 2021. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bears There was a crash and there are others and there are numbers and it all means something supposedly but even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness we know there's no love lost We had to go back. Well, how do I know you're not lying to me when you say things like this? I mean, <laughs> you don't. So I'm just supposed to trust you then. Is that yeah. how this works? Yeah, because it's just, it's, I'm the only one you got. All right. You know, I see no reason not to trust you. Lead on. Uh, welcome back to No Love Loss, the podcast where we go all the way back to the date of conception for Lost. Oh, I hate that. Never say that again. (laughs) All the way to its amazing, wonderful conclusion. Um, Much of what you said was wrong for for so many different reasons. uh, I'm Will Link. With me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 18, D. O-C, which stands for Date of Conception. Okay, because, like, I kept looking at it going, Doc, Doc, what is, okay, what does this stand for? Because I keep reading it as Doc. (laughs) I I don't know why they couldn't just call the episode Date of Conception. I don't know. Lost likes to be coy about the silliest things. There's not, I mean, because nobody, like, she doesn't say in the episode, like, we need to find out your DOC. And then Sun doesn't go, DOC? And then Juliet goes, <laughs> date of conception. I mean, this could have very easily been a, an episode of Maori, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But this is a, a uh, Jin and Sun episode. This episode is written by Edward uh, Kittis and Adam Horowitz, who usually do episodes that I find a little more comedic. They do a lot of Hurley Charlie stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that is a surprise to hear because they're typically like 
hey, uh, we're going to do an episode with some goof goofs and gags and uh, not really any goofs or gags in uh, in this particular outing on either the A plot or the B plot. No, not really. And um, it is directed by Fred Toy, who this is the only episode of Lost he ever did. But he did go on to direct episodes of Westworld and Watchmen, and he's done a lot of big TV stuff. Okay, so uh, I'm guessing with Watchmen, like, he probably made a really good impression um, with, uh, oh, oh gosh, who who was it? Carlton Coose is Damon no, Lindelof. 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 I was like, which one of them worked on Watchmen? I still have not watched Watchmen yet, so I don't remember. But yeah, so he must have made a great impression. We're going to turn this into a Lindelof podcast, and after this, we're going to do the leftovers, and then we're going to do Watchmen. <laughs> I mean, maybe if, <laughs> if the leftovers is as good as you say it is, then yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> the leftovers is even better than I say it is. Okay. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Whatever you think the leftovers is, it's even better. Okay. I will tentatively take your word for it. I mean, have I ever steered you down the wrong path before? See, I don't think you would knowingly steer me <laughs> down the wrong path, but the entire uh backbone i suppose you could say the entire premise of this podcast is that you and i view art very very differently and have different subjective opinions about it um now this episode like i said it's a Jin and sun episode mostly sun and uh you know uh, this is one of those episodes this is one of those season three episodes that again i'm not sure how to feel about it because i think there's some really good character stuff i think there's some good i think it's a solid episode but it does feel a little like the series spinning its wheels and killing time getting to the end game of the season when you realize oh ever since that really cool lock uh cliffhanger we haven't seen lock we haven't seen like that whole storyline it just feels like this was a season lost through a bunch of balls in the air, and some of them stayed in the air a little longer than they should. That's just my opinion. Like, what? How do you feel? I I also feel like this is a very middle of the road episode. Uh, it doesn't do anything offensively bad. Like, yeah, it's not. There's nothing egregious about this episode, but like the and the, the good stuff that there that's there is is very good. It just sort of. And I, I don't want to do what I what I said with like other episodes of the season and say it's a nothing episode either. No. I would say it's probably about on par with the last Sun episode we had, if that makes it, any sense. It, it's interesting because it's it's not a nothing episode. There's like there's important Sun and Jin relationship stuff going on here. There's there's important things happening, but you're right. It's kind of middle of the road. This is a very hard episode for me to come up with both a man in black and a Jacob, because there, like you said, there's nothing like there's nothing offensive in this episode, but there's nothing that is blowing me away per se. Yeah. I feel like both my man in black and man in white for this one are kind of going to be cop outs, but you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Hey, um, and I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know, I don't even have mine picked yet. I'm hoping, 
I'm hoping this discussion tilts something one way or the other. And this isn't one of those, like, I just watched the episode. I watched this episode yesterday. So I so you've uh, had time to ruminate. Time to think about it. Um, well, before, before we dive into it, if yes. for whatever reason, this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, No Love Lost, we are going to be talking about things uh, potentially all throughout the series, which could include how the series ends. So you may, in fact, get spoilers for any given episode in the entire series. So that's your spoiler warning. Uh, proceed with caution. So let's start with the flashback, as is our tradition. And, um, you know, we, we the flashback takes place again in a a weird period of time. It takes place in a section we really haven't seen in Sun and Jin's life where they have just been married, but Jin hasn't become like, like a bitter enforcer for her father. He's working for her father right after their marriage, but it's not the point where uh, her, her dad has, um yeah called him into to be like okay you're gonna your job is to give people beatings now. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. you're you're right this is kind of a weird sort of out of time one um because it takes place way before the uh the flash the the previous flashback um for son takes place because that one was sort of on how her affair ended and now we're going back to like you know, the beginning of their marriage. So it's kind of like, don't get me wrong. It's really cute to see them as newlyweds. I love uh, it. Yeah. It, and like, oh man, it makes me oh so happy seeing how in love they are. But, and, and to this episode's credit too, what we find out recontextualizes their relationship oh, in yeah. a way I I think should feel more meaningful. And yet- yeah, it's just kind of like, huh, interesting, as opposed to, oh my god, like when in in Sun's last flashback episode, when that guy hit, the, you know, fell from the hotel and hit that car, like my jaw's on the floor. I'm like, oh my god, and there's nothing really like that in this episode, where it's like, oh, this changes everything I thought I knew. Uh, well, I- I think we're supposed to feel that way about the date of conception. I think we're supposed to be like, oh my God, who is the father? And then like, be like, oh, it's Jin, thank God. But, oh, son's going to die now, yeah. maybe. And it's, yeah. it's uh, but that's a little hard. Like, I don't know. You're right. It doesn't have the same impact. And I, it is nice. Reason- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it is nice to see them as a happy couple before, because so many of our flashbacks aren't them as a happy couple. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about how that relationship deteriorated. And this is a huge step in that direction, um, showing, you know, where things sort of started to go wrong with their relationship um, was, you know, this this act of deceit on son's part, even if she had good intentions, but like, I don't know, maybe the reason why it doesn't play as shockingly as like some of the other flashback episodes that we've had with these two characters, maybe part of it is one, you know, 
at, at this point, the lost formula is very much established and we haven't shaken up that formula yet. Two, as far as I know, nothing that was revealed in the flashback ever really has a major impact on the characters and their relationship moving forward. Well, yeah, I think we've like, we've now have like all the information we need to have about their past and it doesn't change anything going forward. You're right. It doesn't, it's kind of like you said, it recontextualizes some things, but again, we're in this weird period where Lost is spinning its wheels and like, is that the only reason it was recontextualized to begin with? Yeah, it's like, we're did we just want to throw another curveball in there for the sake of having thrown a curveball? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that being said, again, what's here isn't bad or it's, convoluted. It's yeah, it's just all, it's all good. Of, yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't know, like his, even, even Desmond's last, you know, the last episode with Desmond, where it's just kind of like a meh flashback up until that moment with Penny. Ah, um, uh, yeah. You know, that there's nothing, there's nothing like that in this episode to just really take it from just, oh, this is cool to, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> well, you know, another funny thing about this episode is like, and this is the island stuff, but Jin is away from Sun for days. Like, nobody finds this odd. Like, the Jin, I thought, like, Jin didn't want to ever leave Sun, but then I guess Sun wanted some independence. But also... Well, and he's like, going on a boy's camping trip, that's Will. That's true, that's Remember true. last episode? They were walking down the beach and whistling and having a good time telling ghost stories. Come on, Jin, Jin should be allowed to go on a boy's trip. So uh, it's Come on, true. Tell me that that road trip didn't look fun. I'm just saying they are gone for literally days. <laughs> it is. It is very interesting that an episode where the flashback is all about the emotional well-being of one of the characters on the island and the lengths uh, that person's partner will go to to protect their uh you know to protect their feelings and their honor uh like it's very weird that those two characters aren't together for this type of episode or at the very least that you know one of the conflicts in the a plot isn't present in the b plot you know it's just it's very interesting to have a very sun jin focused flashback while the two characters are apart and doing very different things. I don't know. It's interesting. So Jin is uh, in the flashback with Sun, and he calls her, and you know they're they're newlyweds still, and they're getting their apartment together. He came in to check in and see how things were going, and she's been out. Uh, you know they're 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 settling into their life, and she sits down on a bench, and this older woman sits next to her and it's like oh like is this you in the picture in the paper did you get married and son's like that's me and she goes oh and you're from the um i always have trouble saying the last name is it pike pike uh, you are asking the wrong person <laughs> anyway I'm notoriously bad at pronouncing names 
I am terrible at pronouncing names. But anyway, they're, they're like, oh, you're from this family, this really rich Korean family. And she's like, yeah, that's me. And she's like, well, I'm going to blackmail you for $100,000 because uh, you're, wouldn't it be interesting if it turned out your husband's mother is still alive and was a prostitute? Oh, the shame that would bring. Yeah, this this is one of the things where it's like, okay, clearly this lady was looking to to you know extort Sun. Uh, how long was she sitting on that bench waiting? How did she know Sun was going to be walking by? Like, well, I she, don't know. She sat down on the bench after Sun, so I assume she followed her from somewhere. Okay, it's just you know, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, okay, like how. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just like I, yeah, I, I would have to assume that she hired like a private eye or something to get Sun's routine, because otherwise, I think just finding, find also super, super dangerous. Basically, uh, tailing a mob boss's daughter like that's. I don't know about you, man. I feel like there are other ways to earn money, <laughs> but I don't know. What do I know? I've never tried to blackmail anyone before. <laughs> and that's why and that's why you don't know. You would do it exactly like this cuz it's the best way to do it. Is it? <laughs> I uh not to skip ahead, but it worked. <laughs> that's not inaccurate. <laughs> but like how do we know that like like that uh that like her dad wouldn't have kind of like hired goons just kind of keeping an eye on her? Like at a distance, like they, I feel like they, if, if he was the type of person who would do that, I feel like this lady wouldn't necessarily have had an opportunity to tell son. But anyway, we're dealing in hypotheticals when it comes to that. I'm just saying on her part, it might've worked out for her, but I don't think tailing a mob boss's daughter is all that smart. That's all I wanted to put out there. Megan, he's just a businessman. Nothing shady going on at at uh, at the automotive company, not or any of the factories. Nope, nothing, nothing going on there. So soon comes home and starts, you know, unpacking photos, and it's like, "Hey, new husband of mine, how come there are no photos of your family?" And he gives the very rational answer of, "Ah, we didn't own a camera." Um. And then she starts asking questions about how his father died and she's catching him in lies. Cause she's like, Oh, you said he died when you were in the army, but you just said he died when you were 16. And he goes, and, and Jin's getting very defensive. Yeah. He does that thing uh, where, you know, he's clearly caught in a lie and he goes, Nope, it was just, it was just, you misunderstood. You misunderstood. Angry Jin makes me so sad. <laughs> Um, and it, 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 Angry Jin sucks because the next scene, Sun finds Jin's father. And Jin's father always seems like such a lovely man. He really does. He's always just, you know, brimming with pride for his son and positivity. Like, this is a man who is truly content with where he is in life. And that's. What I wouldn't give for that, man. <laughs> he is so happy to meet Sun. 
and he's just like even just the way he's looking at her and like he knows this woman's bringing his son happiness and i mean this is a guy who he just seems like a good dude who i guess once slept with a prostitute (laughs) and because of that he had to raise a prostitute's baby who might not even be his son well yeah that's the thing is like he doesn't refer to her as a prostitute that's something that that or a sex worker that's something that son brings up and he's like yeah she was with a lot of men um without bringing her profession into it which honestly i am not 100 percent sure whether or not he was a customer i like i tend to think that this was just a lady that he liked and that they they happened to sleep together at some point and yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily think he was a client, like if that makes any sense. He he but seemed oh, good. I still buy the fact that maybe he's not Jin's father because maybe this woman Man, we are getting really speculative in this episode. <laughs> but maybe maybe this woman knew this guy liked her, slept with him knowing that she was carrying some baby she wanted to get rid of and she's like well this guy's not like one of my johns i'm just gonna i'm just gonna give the baby to this nice guy knowing i won't have to deal with it when it's done yeah honestly i could i could see that which is unfortunate because yeah he's such a like if you know, we're we're doing a lot to try to read between the lines in this episode. You know, we might be drawing conclusions that might not actually have ever been intended yeah. on the part of the script. But I think that's a fair I think that's a fair theory for sure, because the I mean the person who was extorting son clearly isn't a good person and she didn't care about her son. So But but at the end of the day, Jin's dad is Jin's dad, whether yeah. by blood or not. And just because he was you know, your father doesn't mean he was your daddy. <laughs> um, and the father still is like, don't tell him you found me. We need to avoid, he wants to avoid shame. And I mean, that's got to kill the father when he's told, although he ne- he doesn't show it, but it's got to kill him when, She's like, and she even hesitates, son, when she says, like, oh, he told me you were dead. Yeah, because um, she's like, why weren't you at our wedding? <laughs> if you're yeah. here and alive, why are why weren't you there? Um so he kind of reinforces the idea of he can never know his mother's still alive. It'll bring too much shame. She he reinforces that idea, which then of course causes son to go to her father and ask for money. And this is one of the things I think uh, gets to your recontextualizing their past. Yes, absolutely. Where she gives the father speech like, you know, which basically is like, I've always allowed you to control me. And we've always like kind of played this game about that. Well, give me this money. I'm not going to ask don't ask me what it's for and I will continue to play this game. And the father very quickly realizes, Oh, this is for your, your new husband. Yeah. Uh. Cause he's like, you've never asked me for anything like this before and you won't say anything. Yeah. This is clearly for your husband. And 
he basically says, okay, great. But because it's for him, I'm basically going to own this guy now. And this is really now a direct line to what ends up destroying Jin. And it's this, so, I mean, and maybe this isn't great. So it's this decision that Sun makes that ends up destroying their relationship. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's um, her choosing to withhold quite a bit of information from him. And as a result, it puts him in, you know, the the terrible situation of, you know, working for her father but, and owing him a debt that he's completely unaware of. But also this could all be avoided if Jin were honest with Sun. This is a great example, and you get this a lot in stories about marriages and film and TV, of, oh, if these two people were just honest with each other, they would avoid so much pain. And neither of them are honest with the other one. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, and it, this is a great example of like a story where one lie ultimately spirals out of control um, because Jin lied about his father and in his mind, he's like, that's that's all, that's all. That's the only thing I need to lie about. And then this happens. So Sun's lying about both his mom and uh, and the fact that he that she knows that his father is actually alive and the source of their, their marital strife when it strife, when it comes to this money and this debt that he's, that they've accumulated with her father that he is completely unaware of. And so it's just, it snowballs from there. And from there, he then starts to lie about what uh, her father is actually having him do. And then she lies about English lessons and having an affair and it just goes and goes and goes. Um, and then what's very interesting in the next scene, when Jin finds the money in her purse, uh, she tells another lie, says the father gave it to him for like a honeymoon, and Jin gets very upset. He wants to be the one to provide, and he said he doesn't want to be in her father's debt, which Whoops. she has just put him in. Whoops. Whoops. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and this is a great example of, again, like, this is good, uh, what's it called? Dramatic irony. This is yes. really good dramatic irony. Actually, because- now, you know, talking this out is making me like the flashback even more. And I never dislike the flashback. I think it's a solid flashback. But, like, talking it out and talking about this dramatic irony makes me think it's maybe a little more relevant than I was giving credit for at the top of the episode. But it's still... It still feels like. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah, it, it's not as impactful as it could be. Uh, and I don't know what they could have done differently to change that. Like, I, I honestly don't. And that's the kind of problem with middle of the road episodes. Because um, even like egregiously bad episodes, you could be like, well, you could have done this, this and this and, you know, done better. But a meh episode is just kind of like, no, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know what they could have done to made to make this bit more impactful. But no, I, I'm with you on that. Like a lot of season three and and even to an extent, um, some of episodes in season two where I was just like meh upon 
upon a first watching of it, like actually sitting down and talking about it often gives me a greater appreciation for the work that's there. So, you know, at that point when Jin says doesn't want to be in her father's debt, you might go, oh, maybe she'll just give back the money. Maybe she won't do that. But we kind of know she doesn't because we know he becomes in the father's debt. And she shows up to pay off Jin's mother. And she tells her, like, you know, he thinks you're dead. Uh and basically says, don't make me make that a reality. Like, son will, son's basically saying, I'll kill you. You come back around. So. Which I think is great foreshadowing for what a cutthroat character she is going to be later on. If yes. I'm well, not mistaken. Look, she is. She I is, mean, don't get me wrong. She did kill someone earlier this season. But that was like in a scary but, situation where yeah, she Yeah, that wasn't a cutthroat. But, but she is her father's daughter. Like, yeah. she can be ruthless. Yeah, uh, which is such an interesting uh, development for this character who, you know... The audience, kind of like Jin when we first met her, kind of put her on a pedestal because he loved her so much. Um, so seeing how ruthless she can actually be is, is it's a really cool development. Um, so let's get to the island. Cool, cool, cool. And Sun is alone in her garden. All of a sudden, there's kind of ominous music. She's looking around. <laughs> like, whenever she's in the garden now, it's like, oh, is she going to be attacked? Uh, but instead, it's just Jack. And Jack comes in because he's just checking in. And he's asking a lot of questions about her pregnancy, including asking if there's any bleeding. And this is striking son is, is odd. Although I don't know if it should because he is a doctor. But, but I, I, it's something about it is rubbing Sun wrong. Well, I think part of it is, you know, later in the episode, she explains her suspicions. So I think it is just like him coming to check in isn't suspicious. Him being so specific with what the, issues she might be experiencing, that's where the red flags start to pop up. And of course, Sun starts asking kate about jack about all that time that jack was gone and the conversation eventually turns to the idea that juliet is a fertility doctor and you know knows what happens to the pregnant women on the island so that's where jack is probably getting this information from and Sun immediately goes and confronts and like really gets in Juliet's face and is pressing her on like what happens to pregnant women on the what happens to pregnant women. And finally Juliet just says they all die. Yeah. The uh, I honestly I really like this scene. Um, it's good. Yeah, yeah, because you know, Sun is often a character who um 
you know, a, a lot of times her relationship with Jin is the the first and foremost thing. And so a lot of times when it comes to things outside of their relationship, we really don't get her to see how she feels about a lot of the stuff that's going on on the island. Um, you know, a lot of the power politics at play. Like, I couldn't tell you what I what her opinion on john locke not coming back with everybody is i have no idea how she feels about those things you know so she, it's really oh go ahead, go ahead yeah she's a little on the outside of like the core like decision makers yeah so it's really nice having a little bit of this like frustration like just kind of and about about like yeah the others have really, and she just lays out a lot of what like Charlie has has laid out in the past of like, hey, what's the deal, guys? You kidnapped children. You kidnapped Claire. Like, what is your deal, guys? Like, and you just expect us to just be cool with the fact that you're here and like eat our food and wash your clothes where we do our laundry and everything like that. So it's really cool. So as son's like yelling at Juliet and talking about how like, hey, don't you keep your secrets? I'm like, yeah, son, you tell her what's what. <laughs> um, but uh, Juliet then, like a creepy other, comes for son in the middle of the night. Yeah, Juliet, Juliet, could you not pull an Ethan right now, man? <laughs> I mean, yeah, cool. that's a that's a little manufactured because she could have just been like. Uh, hey, son, son, hey, um, I want to talk to you about... Instead, she's like, I'm putting my hand over your mouth, and you're going to come with me, and we're going to go get an ultrasound. I mean, heck, Kate knew about that abandoned area over there. Like, th- like while they're all having this conversation on the beach, Juliet could have been like, oh, you're pregnant. Um, okay, you want to... You want help? Like I can, I can give you an ultrasound. Like, just come with me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'm sure Juliet, like Juliet, has to process uh, some of this too, and, and she doesn't know that Kate knows that area, does she? Uh oh, maybe I, she does. Son, son mentions it. Um, yeah. When when Juliet appears in her room, like a in her tent, like a creeper. Um, she, she mentions it and she mentions that, uh, or, or it might've been when they were in the, in the jungle itself, because Juliet had a line about like, oh, they didn't know where to look. Yeah. Because son's like, they said it was abandoned. So it's entirely, I, I think that was in the jungle, not in the tent, but it was still, yeah, it's still really weird. (laughs) It's still really weird that she's like, you've got to do this thing. Unless Juliet had like, was pressed for time when they were having this confrontation on the beach and had to go do creepy other stuff. Like there's no reason for the, there's no reason for this interaction in the tent, except for manufactured tension. So she's gonna, she wants to help son. And this is actually, I think some really great Juliet stuff too, because you know, she's gonna bring her there and She's going to do this ultrasound. They're going to figure out the date of conception. She asks Sun, like, when was the last time? When did they last have sex? And Sun doesn't want to antsy bristles at it. And Sun's like, why are you helping me? 
Juliet has a, a rather lovely answer, actually. It's great. And it's from what we've seen in Juliet's background, we know it to be true, too. Like, she had done this thing her whole life of helping women get pregnant. And it was the happiest news that she'd ever been able to to give anyone. And these people were so happy. But now, in there are nine dead women in the last three years that she watched die because they were pregnant. Like the pregnancy became a death sentence in a way, but she was like determined to save them and couldn't. And she just wants to be able to give some good news again. Yeah, which I, I've i made it no secret that I'm not crazy about the pregnancy plotline on this island. And I maintain that. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why overall this episode is kind of meh. Because ultimately the pregnancy stuff doesn't go anywhere. Um, and, and I mean, well, you know, I, I'm going to, well, I was about to say something, but I'll save it because we're almost there in the, in the episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately the pregnancy stuff on the island doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the only reason why I, I think it's relevant for this season is because we need to establish a timetable for Sun getting off the island so that she doesn't die. But, like, I also feel like if we took that plot stuff away and Juliet was just a doctor on the island, not really much would change outside of, like, Juliet's Juliet's backstory and stuff like that. And you could still tweak it to make it work. So, ultimately, I don't think the pregnancy plot line really amounts to anything. It's a very well, I mean, odd the, thing for the narrative to focus on. I mean, there's something... There is something I like about it. Like, it's horrific in a good way for me in that, like, this, the the way to bring forth new life kills on this place where everything else is, like, wonderful and healing. And, like, Naomi could have a punctured lung, but she'll be on her feet in, like, a day and a half. But, you know, the thing that's supposed to the, to bring new life, that'll kill you. Like, there is something, There's it, something it makes the there. island s- scarier and more upsetting in a way. I mean, you well, can argue does, that there's not like indicate... a... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. You could argue that there's not a good enough payoff to it, but... Yeah. Which it, I'm sure you does... would. <laughs> I definitely would. It does, You're you're absolutely right, in that it indicates that there's something wrong, because everything being equal the island is a place of healing so like it is it is fascinating in that like yeah this why is it that uh bringing new life onto the island is the one thing that doesn't work or like is the rest of this island uh you know a place of healing because it steals the life of other things like those are cool concepts that couldn't should have been explored but ultimately are dropped after this season and never mentioned again <laughs> um well i think oh, go ahead. <laughs> well well just kind of moving on but yeah, yeah, yeah. i i think juliet being so honest then really allows and being so genuine really allows sun to open up and be genuine because then she admits to juliet like i slept with another man it was a mistake. But Juliet, again, is really like, hey, she's like, we all make mistakes. 
She, yeah, it's it's a, a genuinely interesting reaction. And she's like, I slept with another man. And Juliet's like, oh, uh, <laughs> like you can tell that wasn't what she was expecting to hear. Um, uh, and no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Even though I don't like the pregnancy plot line from a meta standpoint, this interaction is really good and really interesting. And um both of these actresses are absolutely phenomenal in giving it their all. So uh, I have, yeah, let's move. I, let's move on. <laughs> I've I've always been a Juliet fan, as you know, and in this episode's another reason why. Like, I think these interactions are really are really great. Um, so they go into this hidden room where they have the ultrasound and. You know, Sun's fairly convinced it's not Jin's baby because Jin had, uh, a fert- he's infertile or whatever. But, uh, Juliet points out, oh, on this island, like, the sperm count of the average man is five times greater than, uh, than, uh, normal. Um, there's a lot of sperm on this island. <laughs> uh, so it no does comment it does <laughs> I'm not touching that one <laughs> it does set up this interesting thing that the episode then kind of plays out for the rest of the episode that i actually think is really good again like everything we're talking about i'm praising uh even though we were kind of like met but i think it's really great the idea if it's not gins son will live and if it is gins son will die um what's interesting is just that idea being out there like you know if we if son had had to have the baby on the island and it wasn't Jin, the fact son doesn't die could eventually if information gets to Jin, be a tip off of oh she it must not must not be mine this is a great catch 22 yeah. This is a great catch twenty two. This should have been uh this it, it shouldn't have been called date of conception. It should have been called catch this is the one that should have been called catch twenty-two. Um but yeah, that you're absolutely right. This is a great dramatic dilemma of like as Sun points out, she's like, This is a lose lose situation for me. This is not great. I'm either getting a death sentence or or it's basically, uh, you know, the my husband is not the father of my child, and that's not great either. <laughs> like, the like one set of news might kill me, but the other one might kill my husband, or at the very least, break his heart. Um. So they do the ultrasound. They see the baby. The baby's healthy, fifty three days old, which means. She got Jin, pregnant on you the You are the father. <laughs> <laughs> and Sun immediately starts like crying and Juliet feels awful because she feels like she knows like this is Sun's crying because she knows it's a death sentence. But then really it's because she's happy it's Jin's baby. Yeah, she's and, really relieved. And you know, they're leaving the the facility and they're they're talking and you know it's it's son tells her tells juliet you know you gave me good news like you were able to give me good news which is a very very nice line 
um, in, in light of their earlier conversation. That's a good. That's a good line. It's a solid line. But uh, also now we have another ticking clock, which you alluded to before. Of now that we know she's carrying Jin's baby, we also know that once Sun gets the third trimester, she will die. Yeah, unless something changes. Either they come up with a miracle cure within the next two months, or Sun gets the hell off this island in the next yeah. two months. It's gonna be. It's got to be one of the two. So that's that's another great dilemma. The, uh, again, I'm starting to think that at the beginning I was too hard on this episode because that's all really good stuff. Knowing where this goes, knowing that it leads to Jin wanting to get Sun off the island at any cost, like it, it makes sense for the end of season three. It definitely does. Um, that being said, uh, like I said, I don't know. I, I've just never been a fan of the pregnancy plotline. And but as you said, this these are it's it's setting up the dramatic states for the stakes for later. So I really can't rag on it too much, you know. So they're outside the hatch and Juliet goes, uh, hey, uh, or the Dharma station. And Juliet goes, uh, so listen, yeah, um, you gave me good news. I got to go back in and do a thing. Like, it's not like a very. Don't worry about it. It's not even a good excuse. She's like, hey, I'm just going to double check. Uh, to make sure we covered our tracks is is what she says. Which, what does that even mean? But I guess if a doctor's saying that to you, you're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Julia and, being like, hey, I gotta go back and do a thing. I, I Personally, I think she should have just waited until the next time she, you know, there was the dead of night before she could go back in to do her secret stuff. And she goes back and we see her recording on a tape recorder. To Ben, a message for Ben about like, oh, son's pregnant, and uh, she ends it with a kicker of, oh, and I hate you. <laughs> and if you go back in time to when this episode first aired, and you happen to be looking at me as I was watching this episode, I believe Past Megan would have given several expletives and then turned to her friends and expressed how much she hated Juliet. <laughs> but I mean, but isn't this though the clear thing that like Juliet is doing this under duress? Yeah, no, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is good. I'm just saying that past me was not in a place where I cared. <laughs> this is this is good, and I view it differently than I did back then. Yeah, Juliet clearly doesn't want to be doing these things, and she's clearly telling the truth when she says she wants to help Son, and that you know, and that she wants to give good news to people. She is a good person in a bad situation. Did past Megan care about that? No, past Megan only cared about the lies. <laughs> past Megan wasn't very forgiving, but not when it comes to lies. <laughs> older, wiser Megan has a soft spot for Juliet. I feel I have a soft spot for anybody who says I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, girl. I feel. Let you. me let me ask you this: How much of of uh? Your feelings on Juliet are uh, influenced by the fact that we are all trapped in quarantine still. 
look, look, girl, we're all trapped in a situation we don't want to be in. I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, our our Benjamin Linus is COVID. <laughs> oh man. It, it, not to mention that Ben has like this weird unrequited crush on her and um, yeah. And, and she was in her situation for three years as opposed to what, what have we been? It's been like eight months for us at this point or no, no. Uh, on the months? Island. Six, six. No, I mean us in, in the COVID situation oh. at the time of this recording, it's August. So five months since uh lockdown back in March, I guess. Ugh. Well, there is a B story going on. Yes, but like, uh, yeah, just just to put a pin in that, uh, this was a plot line. Uh, like, I really did not like. I remember being really frustrated by the end of the A plot in this episode back when it initially aired. Maybe it's because I've seen the end of the series and ultimately knows how know how all of this plays out. But I feel a lot more sympathy for Juliet than I did upon my first viewing. So the, yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. Is like, I used to hate this. It's fine now. Um, so B plot, B plot. Naomi, I don't even remember whether they've said her name yet or we've learned her name yet. <laughs> but I she, don't either. She is the woman who parachuted down. And she starts speaking Spanish and Hurley understands it. And he's like, oh, she says she's dying. And then it turns out she was stabbed on a branch when they cut her down or when she fell into it. At some point, a branch stabbed her. Yeah. And, and it's punctured her lung. Ooh, that's not good. And Desmond decides, like... I'm going to go get Jack. And Charlie's like, that's an eight-hour hike both ways. And Desmond's like, well, I'm going to run. I mean, <laughs> and, but we, 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 we know he's in shape, and we know that he's really, really fast. <laughs> but, I mean, that's all. run up those stairs like nobody's business. That's a lot of running. Um, but then, at that moment, Hurley sets off a flare. Now... Is the flare, are we to, because I feel like there aren't a lot of consequences of that flare. Like, are we to believe that's why Mikhail shows up because he saw the flare? It's never really clear. Yeah, it's, it's never explicitly stated, but I think that's the implication. Because they don't move from that place after Hurley sets off the flare. And Desmond hasn't run off yet, but then... Mikhail shows up. And here's what's funny about Mikhail showing up. Um, he's He died. We saw him die. <laughs> yes, that is hilarious. <laughs> we saw... <laughs> we saw John Locke push him through those, like, sonic pylons and, like, his, like, brain basically explode inside his head or something. Yeah, he started foaming at the mouth. And this is the point where we're like... Oh, did he have like a phony foam foam tablet in like one of his teeth uh, and like pretend that he died? Like that was the that's what I thought happened, that he just did something to fake his own death somehow. No, he died. (laughs) Nope, dead, 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 dead. An ex um, person. Uh, He left this mortal coil. He ceased to be. (laughs) Um, 
So Mikhail shows up and he sees this like motley crew of oceanic survivors and he runs off but Jin chases in a genuinely funny moment. Yes. <laughs> and Jin chases him down. And then they all, you know, they all catch up to him. They've they've captured him. And at this point, you know, Naomi's speaking Chinese now. Like, it's like crazy things are happening. She is a linguistic master. I am very impressed with her linguistic abilities. I can, I, I took three years of Spanish in high school and I took a course in Spanish when I was in college too. And I can barely speak it. <laughs> Oh. I like I like bumped myself back down to Spanish one Spanish because I haven't I didn't use it and so now I it's am, gone. I do not have an ear for languages. I am not I'm not good with this stuff. Um but but Naomi is. Meanwhile but Desmond's got Mikhail like up against a tree, whatever, and he's got the flare gun to his chest. And Mikhail's basically like uh, that's a flare gun. And Desmond's like, well, it's gonna, like, like, basically, like, it'll still mess you up. But it's pointed out that, um, oh, I've already died this week. Like, I so, got better. <laughs> yeah. I feel happy. Um, But now, Naomi's speaking Italian. And Mikhail knows Italian. I don't know why they didn't just have her speaking Russian, but Miguel knows Italian. <laughs> and he's like, listen, I will save her life uh, if you let me go. And basically, Desmond feels they don't really have an option. And they don't really have an option. Um, no, they don't. I, uh, I mean... This, I, I know Charlie uh, raises up objections to this, but I kind of have to side with Desmond on this one. It's just unfortunate. You know, we spent the entire last episode talking about the butterfly effect. It is unfortunate, ultimately, what the decision to let him go ultimately leads to. But, like, they were in a rock and a hard place. I can't really, I can't really fault anybody for the decisions on this one. So... Des so Desmond agrees to that deal while Mikhail because Mikhail has like um military uh training in um uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh like field uh, uh He's a medic. He's a field he's medic. He's a medic. Yes, field medic. Sorry, thank you. And no, no, it's okay. Dude, it's it's been a day. <laughs> it is um, okay. But uh he, you know, while they're working on him, he's asking questions. And Hurley is quick to answer. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, we found a sat phone. And Charlie gives Hurley this look of, like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> um, so, Mikhail sets up, basically, kind of freeze by stabbing into her lungs. They get, like, the blood out, and it basically allows her to breathe. It's really interesting. I just rewatched the movie Three Kings. They do a similar thing in that movie where the person has this valve in their lung that they have to keep letting out, like, the air pressure before it collapses kind of thing. So um, they, they got a similar thing going on with, with Naomi. And then Mikhail says, like, you know, let her rest. She'll be better in a day. And they're like, a day? 
And it's like, eh, the island heals people. And he's like, uh, now you're going to let me go? And Desmond's like, yeah, to Charlie's I, objection. I do just not to not to jump too far back a little bit. I do just want to point out that the sound design that they created for this, you know, field, you know, sort of pre uh, uh, this pr- uh, field surgery sort of deal. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely horrific. And maybe it's just because I was listening to it on headphones and I had turned my head away from the screen for a moment um, to look at an email I had gotten uh, just a few moments before. And so I looked away from the screen, I have my headphones on, and all of a sudden, like, this horrible popping, ripping noise, uh, followed by like air, a hissing at like it was an excellent, excellent use of sound design. But like having it directly pumped into my ears, I think was a slightly different experience than the first time I watched this so many years ago, just hearing it on my TV. Uh, I will say, kudos sound department team. I never need to have that specific sound pumped into my directly into my eardrums ever again. <laughs> it was uh, great, though. It, I mean, it looked horrific too. Like you see, like the blood coming out of the thing, and it's like kind of like pussy looking. It's not like clean blood. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is this. Naomi's in a bad place. <laughs> um, it just it reminded me a lot of like you know in um in like season one of this show when like like Boone got messed up and it's just like oh this is the opposite of good. <laughs> this is not or like when the Marshall was really messed up and like when Lost wanted to do like realistic body horror. It was really, really well done. Um, so kudos, show. You have my compliments, praise. I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to get at uh, by saying that you're really good at being super gross, but you're really good at being super gross, and I applaud you for it. So Mikhail goes off, but all of a sudden, Jin starts chasing him down. And it's like, where the hell's Jin going? But Jin realizes Mikhail stole the sat stat sat phone and Mikhail's got a pretty good line like hey like <laughs> you wouldn't have respected me if I didn't try I feel like in another life Mikhail would be really Mikhail would be really slick he would be one smooth customer right yeah oh yeah definitely <laughs> it, it's almost a shame but you know here we are and you know this of course gives Charlie another opportunity to be like like we shouldn't let this guy go and but desmond's like sticking to his word even though i would argue that by stealing the sat phone like mikhail's kind of broken whatever broken agreement or yeah Um, i mean i i wholeheartedly agree but he would come back with well you didn't say i couldn't take it i was that was not at all lined out in our contract but (laughs) desmond is also Desmond has also brought up the good point of like they're not really in a position to take a prisoner back to. Yeah, no, they kind of have their hands full with the the person on what I assume they're you know they're making a makeshift stretcher, so they're not they're not gonna. Re- 
eight hours too, having to carry somebody. Yeah, no, that's a lot. That's a lot. Having to keep Mikhail prisoner all that time would be a huge hassle. So, but Charlie does say like, you should have killed him, which is interesting because we know, and you know, spoiler, but you gave the spoiler that uh, Mikhail will be the one to kill Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Honestly, this exchange is more compelling with that information. Yes. Upon a first watch, I think like this informa- this exchange would have come and gone and I wouldn't have paid any attention to it. Uh, but knowing what we know now, it's like, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is what we were talking about with the butterfly effect. Letting him go ultimately will lead to the way that Charlie dies. Um, but Desmond also brings up a good point like, Seems like you've killed more of them than they've killed of you. Which, is that true? I guess it is. Uh, I don't know. Because we don't know how many of the people, like, they attacked. We don't know how many of them are still alive. You know? Yeah. They, they stole a lot of people from the tail section of the plane. Um, and they were directly responsible for killing uh, Ana Lucia and Libby. So I don't know. I don't know how this number game shakes out exactly. <laughs> and don't forget Scott or Steve. Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell that to, to Steve Scott Desmond? You probably don't because you don't know who they are. You weren't around, man. You don't know. Um, so now Naomi wakes up and she's like, like, where am I? And they explain that she's on the island and they're the survivors of Flight 815. And then she says, <laughs> well, they found Flight 8, 815. There were no survivors. Bum, bum, bum. Everyone here's in purgatory. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I mean, that's what they want you to believe. Yeah, and I have mixed feelings on this. Like, I do think that the um, corporate conspiracy is a cool story beat, but I don't like the intentional misdirect given where the series ultimately ends up. But I don't, but here's the thing you, the corporate conspiracy is the misdirect so you can't like one and not the like you just no 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 oh go ahead go ahead i was gonna say like i get what you're saying because there was the whole thing of like people thinking the show was purgatory and they would deny that but then they would always hint at it being purgatory but i feel like a moment like this whether it's purgatory or not and it's not but whether you know it you can't avoid a moment like this if you're going to have a conspiracy where the rest of the world thinks these people are dead. That's true. But the problem is, is that this show doesn't necessarily... If I never watched this show in its initial run and I had no idea, you know, uh, about the sort of fan culture that existed at the time of its creation when it was initially airing, uh, then, then I could, I could just take it at face value of like, yeah, no corporate conspiracy, but because I was around <laughs> and because I knew and engaged in those theories, it's impossible for me 
in my subjective interpretation of the show, it's impossible for me to see this in any other way of them being like, oh, it could be purgatory. But, okay, but here's and then my... it not being purgatory, and then them doing purgatory later. <laughs> that would that's that's me. That's just me and my frustration. Well, I was gonna say any that... other interpretation is one hundred percent valid, and that's fine. But yeah, because how much is a show responsible for the theories that their fans come up with, though? That is an excellent question, and that kind of delves into a little bit of death of the author and, you know, like, whether or not, like, a show when it's out there, what does authorial intent really matter, like, when it comes to looking at the show as it stands on its own, or really any story. And it- there's there's a larger discussion there, um, and... Honestly, I, you know, we shouldn't be having it in the last six minutes of our podcast or however much longer we're going to be going. Um, But that is 100% fair. How much is a show or really any given work of fiction responsible for its fan interpretations Uh, or like the the stuff that the fan community comes up with? Um, And I feel like for any kind of long-running series, it varies on a case-by-case basis because there are some where fan, there are some cases where fan theories and st- and like fan works and things like that do have an impact on ultimately what gets created. Um, and then there are other ones where creators ultimately, you know, purposely steer away from engaging with fan works uh so that it they're that the story that they're writing doesn't necessarily get compromised even accidentally so it 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 genuinely varies case by case um and ultimately you know it i don't know death of the author is a very complex discussion (laughs) and like i said i don't think we can cram it into the next couple minutes but I, I feel like your point is valid, Will. And I would argue for this show, uh, fan stuff did impact some stuff. But, uh, you know, ultimately, we'll never know exactly how much until uh, Lindelof and Coos decide to write a book <laughs> doing a tell-all about the ins and outs of writing this show. <laughs> oh, I would buy that book in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> So now I have a question for you, Megan. Yes. What is your Jacob? Um, hmm. Ooh. Let's see. I'm probably going to give it to um Sun and Juliet's uh interactions in this episode. Uh their their dynamic uh, and the way that it progressed from the beginning. Um, where Sun was being belligerent and accusatory to uh, their moments of bonding um, were absolutely excellent and exceedingly well acted. And then, you know, the twist at the end where, you know, even though they bonded, ultimately Juliet does betray her and Sun was 100% justified in her belligerence at the beginning of the episode. Like that's all, those are all really good. So I, I like that entire arc. Just looking at it isolated in this episode, I really, really like that arc. I'm going to go with the um, 
I, I do think in the flashback there's a lot of good dramatic irony. So I'm going to go with just like the way they've kind of set that all in motion of these couples who just aren't being honest with each other. And if they didn't keep one secret from another, like their whole lives would have been just so much better. Yeah. Like they would have been happy. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's like feels real. And they, I, I mean, I think they do a good job laying all that out. Hey, just real quick. Do you think they brought in Jin's mom? Um, to be like, as it like a purposeful, see, it's not just father issues. <laughs> Some of these characters have terrible mothers. too. <laughs> That's true. Maybe I <laughs> Jin, the one character with a good dad <laughs> has a terrible mom. I also though wonder if it's also brought in to deal with, um, uh, you know, we, we introduced the idea that son might be carrying, uh, someone else's baby and there's this idea that Jin's father wasn't really his father so I think it, yeah and, and, that's and, fair that's and, fair and, and you know it's there to set that up but I mean it doesn't we don't we don't wallow in any of that long enough like another yeah. like there was a scenario where that's a storyline for like three episodes oh yeah I think you could argue that a lot of Lost revolves around that kind of notion of found family um and that in the idea that yeah that the people who who uh genetically are related to you don't don't necessarily constitute as your family it's the family that you choose i mean i would argue that that's the summation of a lot of the entire series yeah yeah no i mean uh, there are a lot of characters who who deal with that, and so I I think it's fair to point out that this is another episode that ties into that overall theme. Um, what is your man in black? Um, I mean, like we said, there's nothing really super egregious about this episode. Um, I think upon us talking about it i think the things that really got under my skin um are the moments of manufactured tension with juliet like 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 you said uh her like popping into the tent and being all cryptic megan i'm not i swear to god i know i said i didn't have a man in black but like literally two minutes before you said this i decided that was going to be my man in black too i'm not (laughs) lying i'm not just doing this to cover my butt because I can't think of one. I just like had <laughs> circled on my paper, like, cause I have the words on my paper. Uh, uh, Juliet comes for son, like a creep. And I had circled <laughs> that because I, I think, I, I think that's, it's not even a big thing, but I think that's like the, the, like, there's nothing bad in this episode really. And I think that's, like, the stuff that sticks out the most, like a sore thumb. It's the stuff that, like, doesn't seem to necessarily fit with what's going on. It just seems there to be creepy and mysterious for the sake of being creepy and mysterious. Um, And I I would say the same thing for when they're actually in the hatch and they open up the the room that's hidden away. And Sun's like, well, why is this room hidden away? Why is that important? And (laughs) it's just like, okay, guys, let's, let's... tone it down a couple notches it's fine um that being said the only other thing if like we're talking about being really nitpicky 
is that the portrayal of sex workers in this episode is potentially problematic. Like, it's not exactly a, a flat, like, it's not a necessarily great portrayal, but I don't think vilifying sex workers was the intent. Um, but uh, if if you if somebody wanted to take issue with that, I would not argue with them. But that's honestly a nitpick in um, an episode where I, I struggle to find things to complain about. Well then, Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where my roommate and I talk about horror things. And I'm also a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-hosts talk about Rooster Teeth-related productions. So go check those out. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. And uh, buy my book, Crazy About Kurt. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Megan, will we ever be in the same room again? Do you think that'll ever happen? Maybe not this year. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I hope so one day, man. I hope so. Um, Well, until that day, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, Yeah, the podcast Jukebox network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, And so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.